Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. Would you just turn with me right to Judges chapter 6? And we're going to dive right in uh, to what I believe God is speaking to us this morning. Uh, Judges chapter 6, and we're going we're gonna to take a look at some passages right there. And we've been in our series, God of the Underdogs, where we've been uh, looking at the different excuses uh, that, that, that hold us back from believing uh, for God to do great things in and through our lives, those excuses that, that cause us to, to walk away from moments like this, feeling like what God was doing in his service was for everyone else, but it wasn't, wasn't for me. And so we've been battling some of those excuses as we've looked at some of the different characters in the Bible. And today we're going we're gonna to look at a man by the name of Gideon. And as we look to this passage this morning, you're going to find that uh, we are no longer, uh, Joshua is no longer on the scene. Moses is gone. Joshua is gone. And yet we're not quite over to the kings with King Saul and King David yet. We're in between those two uh, seasons, those two um, uh, time periods. And we're in right here in Judges in a season uh, where the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, uh, had has now been doing what was right in their own eyes. So they, they don't have Joshua leading them any longer. They don't have the kings ruling over them yet. Um, God is the one that they're looking to, but yet the, the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, would continue to go in this cycle of doing what was right in their own eyes rather than doing what was right in the eyes of God. And so what would happen is um, the judgment of God would come on them, and God would judge the nation of Israel in a specific way where he would remove his protection and allow uh, nations that were there to conquer them and to rule over them. And in this passage that we're going to pick up in, uh, a nation by the, uh, called Midian had uh, conquered the nation of Israel, had um, taken captive um, the Israeli people, and and they're living under this, uh, this oppression of the Midians. And uh, God does something wonderful. Uh, when, whenever God is about to, to move on the behalf of people or do something great, he always calls someone. He always chooses someone. He raises them up. And in the book of Judges, you find that he raises up a judge. And uh, when the children of Israel cry out to God and plead for God's mercy and cry out to him, God raises up a judge, and that judge then begins to guide the people in the right direction. But as you look through, and if you read the, the book of Judges, you see it's a bit of a cycle that they go through. Um, and I think that some of us can relate to that, where they begin to go back into uh, doing what was right again in their own eyes, and God would then um, answer their cry again and raise up another judge. But here in Judges chapter 6, in verse 1, it says that the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And so it, they're, they're in the hand of their, their oppressor seven years, and, and they're conquering over Israel. And then in verse 6, it says, and Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. And when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And listen, listen to what he says here. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt 
and brought you out of the house of slavery. Speaking of when God uh, called Moses and said, Moses, go and free my people. And he's saying, um, I did that for you. And in verse 9, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. And in verse 11, it says, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah. No, Oprah's not in the Bible. How many of you? I have to pause when I look at that word because my, my first reaction is I'm going to say Oprah, okay? Um, I'm just going to call it out, say what you're all thinking. It's all good. Uh, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Okay, let's just stop for a moment. This is the picture. Gideon is beating out wheat in a wine press. What is a wine press actually used for? Making wine, yes, okay. When they would beat out wheat, typically what they would go do is they would go to a high place um, and they would beat the wheat out there so that the wind would blow and blow away the chaff. But when they would go up to this high place where they're visible and they can be seen by the Midianites, they would go up and they would do that. Every time they would do that, the Midianites would come and conquer them, take their harvest, kill all, all of their, um, the, their livestock or take their livestock from them, and they would be left with absolutely nothing. And so because of that, now we see Gideon. Gideon is hiding away in a wine press, beating out wheat which would have been a very difficult task. And, uh, and, and so here he is. This is what he's doing. He's hiding away, and he's beating that out. And it says here in verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Everybody see? I, don't, I wouldn't have said, Gideon, you're such a mighty man of valor. You're hiding, trembling, afraid that the Midianites are going to find you. And so you're beating this wheat out, hoping that they're not going to come along and take everything from you. But you're a mighty man of valor. And it goes on. It says in verse 13, and Gideon said to him, please, sir. Seems very polite in his response. If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. God was seeing something that we're, we, weren't, we wouldn't have been seeing in that moment, wasn't he? God was seeing something that Gideon was not seeing in that moment. He was seeing himself, he was seeing himself in bondage. He was seeing himself forsaken. He was seeing himself, uh, him and all of the Israel, Israelites left uh, to fend for themselves. But God looks to him and says, hey, there's some might inside of you. Go and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? There's the key right there. Do I not send you? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest 
in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. In other words, I am an underdog. I, how could I possibly be chosen? How could I possibly be the one that would be picked to do anything, to save anyone? How could I be the one? I am the least. I am the weakest. This is impossible. And then God answers him again, and the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And then look over to, to Judges chapter 7, and we see that, that Gideon had a hard time, if you continue reading through chapter 6, um, grasping that God had chosen him and picked him, and so he put some things out there, uh, some things that he needed to see, answers from God to, to continue to move forward. But we see that he uh, believed God, and he moved forward in this, what God was calling him to do. And we pick it up in verse um, 1 of chapter 7, and it says, Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand, lest Israel boast over me, over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. So here they are now. Gideon answers the call of God to go and save the people. And he goes, he gathers a large group with him. He gathers about 32,000 men and says, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to go into battle against the Midianites because God is for us. And so he gathers everybody up and he's, he's having his brave heart moment right here. And he's like, come on, we're going to go to battle and there's the Midianites. And, and then all of a sudden God says, uh-uh, excuse me, Gideon, you have too many people. Can you imagine for a moment what may be going through Gideon's mind when God says, no, 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 actually there's too many of you. And he's like, wait a second. There's too many of us. Okay, God, what are you, what are you saying here? And so then God tells him, the reason why there are, t- there are too many of you and I want there to be less is because I, I don't want you to presume that anything you did gained the victory and and that you would receive the glory, but I'm going to receive all the glory and all the honor in this situation. And so we see here it says that um, whoever is fearful, I want you to say this to the people, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. They're going into battle. How many do you think are fearful? Right? All of them. Hello? The ones that left were about 10,000 people, which means 22,000 decided, hey, I'm afraid. I'm going home. I'm out of here. 10,000 left, and the reality is they were probably afraid too, but pride kept them there because they were too prideful to say, no, I'm going to go home. And so we've got 10,000 are left. And then, and then we see that the Lord says to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them. For you there, and any one of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, will go with you, shall go. So he um, brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps. Isn't that interesting? Gonna gather some more underdogs, apparently. Um, as a dog laps, um, you shall set by himself. Likewise, anyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. 
and let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 of the camp, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So here's the picture that we have now. Gideon is left with 300 to go against an army of thousands upon thousands. And, uh, and, so, and, I, and so we're going to pick it up here, and we're going to see then what God proceeds to do. So God gives Gideon some clear direction here, and in verse 16, he divided the 300, the Lord had, uh, he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into their hands, all of them, and empty jars with torches inside the jars. A trumpet and a torch. I'm going into battle with a trumpet and a torch, okay? Right? Um, and he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held, their left hand, they held in their left hand the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they, they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon, yet they had no sword. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Bethshetah toward Zerah, as far as um, that other place over in Tabith. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian with 300 men with torches and trumpets. Let's pray. God, we thank you, uh, God, for this word that you've uh, given to us out of the life of Gideon and God, we just uh, look to you this morning and pray that you would speak to us through your word and that hope and faith would arise inside of each and every one of us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. Underdogs, when, when the excuse rises up that you look out at your circumstance and you begin to think that, man, the odds are against me, the, 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 the situation, it just, the chances seem too slim that, that God could possibly work out this situation in my life. The chances are too slim that God could use me to impact my friend that is far from Jesus. My chances are just far too slim. But in those moments when we look at our situation, we look at ourselves and we look at the circumstances around us and we would look and say, man, it just seems as though that our chances are too slim. That's when God begins to step in and God gets the greatest glory through it all. If we will simply uh, listen to him and trust him and rest in his grace and allow him to use us as underdogs to accomplish whatever it is that he wants to do in and through our lives. Amen. And so here we see, we see Gideon and we see this incredible, um, incredible uh, situation play out that as we read it, you know, we see the beginning, we see the middle, we see the end. 
Uh, but can you just imagine for a moment and try to put yourself in Gideon's shoes or try to put yourself in, in, the, in, the, in the place of, of one of those men that was remaining, one of the 300 that was left and was handed a torch and a, and a trumpet. They don't know the middle of the story. They don't know the end of the story. They're moving forward with blind faith and, and just absolute trust in God and in Gideon as their leader that he's hearing from God. And God works a miracle. God does what, what none of us would have ever anticipated that he would do. And I'm sure that none of them had imagined that God would do. Back in 2005, my husband and I were living up in uh, North County, San Diego, and we were pastoring at a church up there. And uh, it, around that time, God made it very clear that he was transitioning us out of, of that, that place and that, that ministry at the time, and that he was moving us on into something different. And w- it was totally unexpected for us. We fell in love with San Diego the, the moment we moved down here in 1999. We never imagined ourselves leaving San Diego. We loved San Diego. We loved the people of San Diego. We loved the church that we were at. We never saw ourselves ever leaving San Diego. But all of a sudden, here we are, 2005, and God was making it abundantly clear that he was transitioning us out for a season. And, and we felt as though God was taking us to Las Vegas. We had never been to Las Vegas before in our lives. We, I mean, honestly, if I'm to be totally honest, I just thought it was casinos. I didn't think people really lived there, okay? You know, <laughs> I just figured it's a place people go and they gamble and they, you know, go to dinner and they see shows and then they go home, you know? There's nobody that lives there. Um, and all of a sudden, here we are now. God is calling us to... Las Vegas and a job opportunity opened up there and it was very clear but yet we had never been there and here I am with a four-month-old newborn and uh, I'm I'm got a two-year-old and we have a house in in San Diego and yet we have about 30 days to make a move out to Las Vegas and and the chances of all of that lining up and and everything coming together for us to move to Las Vegas seemed absolutely impossible and we looked at it and we're like how is this how is this going to happen? We've got to sell our house here. We've got to find a place there. We've got to even find out if we even like the city. Um, you know, at the time, our daughter, um, Kara, who was two years old, was not going into the kids' classes at our own church. So the idea of moving her to a new city and to a new church and that she would even go into the kids' classes there was like, that is not going to happen. Um, you know, and, and there, there are so many things taking place at that time, and our hearts were aching because we knew we were leaving the city we loved. And so we made a trip out to Las Vegas one Friday night, and we were going out for the weekend. Uh, this is where we, we, I really knew, if, if I'm honest about the whole thing, I knew that God was calling us to Las Vegas. My husband was struggling with it a little bit, but I just sensed that this is what God was doing. And, um, and Ben was just like, I'm still not so sure about this. And I just said, you know what, babe, whatever, whatever you know, let's go. And whatever you're feeling, we're just going to go with that, you know. And, but I really felt that this was what God was doing. But we had never been there before. So we make this trip out there. And um, if any of you, how many of you have driven from San Diego to Las Vegas? Driven. Yeah. Fun, right? How about in rain? In a downpour? Mm-hmm. Your five-hour trip turned into seven and a half hours right there. 
Um, that was our trip out to Las Vegas. We're going out. Our hearts are breaking because we know we're driving away from the city we are in love with. And our hearts are breaking as we're dealing with this absolute downpour and we're driving in crazy roads and, and it just was nuts. And finally we get there and they had a service that Friday night. And we get there and on our drive we just kind of talked and like if God is really doing this, if God is really calling us out there, there are some things that we believe we need to see. We need to, number one, we need to love the city. We love San Diego. We need to love Las Vegas if we're going out there, if this is where God's taking us. Or we just needed to hear from God some more on this thing. And so that, and then my other prayer as a mom is I want to see my daughter go into kids' class. And I, I want to see this not be a battle, not be a struggle. And then the other thing was we need to find a place. We need to find a home. So we get out there after a seven-and-a-half-hour drenched drive and we are dripping with the rain as we're trying to run into the building and I go into the kids class and and first before as we're driving and you make that crest and you start to come down all of a sudden my heart leaped when I saw the lights and I saw the city and I just looked at Ben and he looked at me and instantly knew he liked this city there was something it we had never we hadn't met a single person it just something happened in our spirits. We were like, oh, shoot, there's one, one down, you know. We get to the church, and I go over to the kids' class, and I've got faith in the car seat, and I'm trying to check in car, and I'm just praying, God, I, this isn't going to work, you know, and I'm just, I'm signing her in, and I just know the battles, the tears are going to start shedding, you know. I mean, you know, parents, some of you, it happened this morning. It's okay. Um, and, and I'm filling this out, and all of a sudden I turn around, and I look, and I'm looking for car, I'm looking for Cara, and I'm like, where did she go? And I look over, and she's playing. She's over there with the teachers, sitting around a little circle with all the other kids. And I'm like, no, God, you can't possibly be calling us to Las Vegas. <laughs> we have this service. God's definitely beginning to knit our heart with the people there. And uh, we're, we're looking at every single house in the city of Las Vegas. Every, I, I'm guaranteeing at the time it was really competitive to find a, find a place. And we looked at every, I don't even want to think of how many houses we looked at that weekend. It was insane. We weren't finding a single one. Monday we were about to leave and uh, our agent had three more houses for us to look at. And, and we, we go to the first two and it's like, why did we even bother? These are not going to work for our family. You know, the rent, the, the amount monthly would be too much, whatever. And so we go to the last house. And as we pull up into the driveway, there's something like a piece started to settle in my heart. And then we opened the door and we walked in and we were like, ah, this is it. We know this is it. This is the house. And our realtor at the time said, well, there's nine other offers on this house right now. Do you still want to make an offer? And Ben and I were like, well, if, if God's moving us here and we feel in our heart that this is the house, then let's put an offer in and we'll just see what happens. Put the offer in and we, make, we get in the car and we start driving back to San Diego. And as we're driving back, we get the phone call and she says, you guys aren't going to believe it. You, you were the 10th offer and your offer got accepted. And so here we are. God clearly answered. And it was, God was making it abundantly clear when we thought, Every, the chances are so slim. It's impossible that this is going to work. It's impossible that God could possibly be doing this in our lives. God answered in every single one of those situations. But now we have a house in San Diego we got to sell. We have about less than 30 days to sell this house. And our friend and our agent down here says, this, that is absolutely impossible, guys. We're looking at a 60, 90-day market here. And we just said, okay, well, but God's making it clear that this is what he's doing. So we just are going to trust and believe that he's doing it. Well, 
in the process, we had one of those lovely downpours that we have in San Diego often. Not, not often. Not often. But every once in a while. Every three years or something. And we discover that we've got leaks in two rooms of our house. And as we discover those leaks, we discover that those rooms past the sheetrock are just absolutely um, covered in mold. So we have to sell a house that is, has two rooms that are full of mold. And we need a new roof. I've got a four-month-old and a two-year-old. And my husband is having to travel back and forth a couple times to Las Vegas um, to, to start some of his duties that he had out there. And I'm left at home uh, with uh, biohazard uh, sheets in my house, men with suits and masks and, you know, fans running in my house. And I've got a newborn. I'm wondering what, you know, they're, they're mold. This is no joke, you know, what is happening here? And it just looks absolutely impossible that this is going to happen, that this is going to work out. And in the process, we, God, God just provides, and we, we get the mold remediated. We get a new roof on the house. We get it on the market, and within 14 days, 14 days, that house is sold. And we make this move, and within 30 days, we moved, and we found ourselves out in Las Vegas, the, the, the possibility of that, if you had asked me before those 30 days, the end of those 30 days, I would have said, it, there is no way. It is absolutely impossible. There is no way. And you know what happened as each one of those scenarios played out and as God continued to answer in every single one of those situations, our, 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 our family was like, wow, how did that happen? I don't know. We prayed. God answered. And, and God's getting the glory. And then here with, with, our, with our realtor, our agent, and she's saying, this is impossible, guys. This is not going to happen. There's no way. We said, well, you know what? We're going to pray and we're going to believe God. And God answered. And she walked away going, I don't know what it is with you guys, but God must just be liking you today or something, you know. And, but God got all the glory in those situations and situations that we thought were going to be impossible, that there's just no way that it was going to work out. And I know that many of us are here this morning and you are looking at situations in your life. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your marriage. Uh, may, maybe, maybe it's your singleness. Maybe, you know, it, it's something with someone that's close to you and you're looking at it and the, the chances of God actually working something out in that situation are so, so the chances of that happening are so slim. It is nearly impossible. And you, you're looking at that situation. How many of you have been there and you thought, you know, I'm just going to walk away because it's just not going to happen. I'm not even going to try. And in those moments, we have to remember that God chooses and uses people. Number one, God chooses and uses people. Whenever there is a need, whenever God wants to move on behalf of other people, on behalf of a group of people or someone that is in need of Jesus, someone that is far from God, God calls someone to lead the way. He did it with Moses, a man that was a murderer that was hiding away on the backside of a desert. He called him to deliver God's people. He did it with David, who was the youngest son in his family who got left behind out in the field. He called him to choose him to, to rise up and be king, a king that is now known today as a man that had a heart after God. He did it with Esther, and we talked about her last week. Esther, a girl who was an orphan, didn't have a mom and a dad, didn't come from the right race, but God chose her, put her in a palace for the purpose of saving his people. God did it with Mary. When he, he came to her and appeared to her and said, you're going to have a son because my people need a savior, and I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you to be the one, and he did it right here with Gideon. 
Because the people of Israel at that time began to cry out. They had suffered for seven years under Midian. And they had suffered and they would cried out. And God chose Gideon. God picked him. And you know what that tells me? That tells me if God can use Moses, if he can use Esther, if he can use David, if he can use Gideon, a man who was clearly afraid and not, not a man on the outward that would have looked like a, you know, a, a valiant man or a, a, a man that, that had any sort of valor whatsoever. If God could choose these, and certainly, is it possible that he could choose you? Is it possible that he could choose me? I think so. I really think so. If he can pick Paul who's a persecutor of the church, and choose him and say, Paul, I'm picking you to actually be the one that would establish the church. And write three-fourths of the New Testament. That blows my mind, but that is the kind of God that we serve. He picks and he chooses people to, to, to move and work through them. And what we have to realize is God sees you as he created you, not as you see yourself. You see, we see ourselves based on our, our immediate circumstances. We see ourselves based on how we feel. How many of you ladies are that way? Like, if I'm not feeling great that morning, I look in the mirror and I don't feel like I look great. I don't feel like I can do anything that day, you know? <laughs> we can be moved by emotion and swayed by emotion, but God, when he looks at you and I, he sees us as he created us. And when he created man and woman, he looked and he said, man, that is very good. That is so good. That is incredible. And he, when he looks at us, he sees us, and he sees the, the, the plans and the purposes he has for us. And, and, and Psalm 139 talks about how every one of our days are numbered, that they're written out in a book, that God sees those. So when he looks at you, and, and you look at yourself in the middle of your circumstance, and the, the way that you're feeling in that moment, you feel like everything but someone that's victorious, everything but one that could possibly be chosen by God, he sees you as he created he created you he sees you walking in the fullness of your destiny even though you look in the mirror and you see somebody that's failed you see someone that that man has stuff odds that are against them chances that are so slim that god could possibly use them but he sees you as he creates created you so good to remember and in those moments God asks us to trust his uncommon logic. We have to remember that God chooses and uses people. He's done it all throughout the Bible from Genesis all the way through to Revelation and today. And secondly, God asks us to trust his uncommon logic. And I say uncommon logic because that's what it looks like to us. It looks completely illogical. To go into a battle without a sword, but yet when we blow the trumpet, we're going to say a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. What? That is, that doesn't make sense, does it? But he invites us and he asks us to just trust. Trust, trust me in this. Trust, trust that I'm on your side. And even though you might be standing there with only 300 men against thousands upon thousands of men, just trust. That's why we have scriptures like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that remind us, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but all your ways, in every way, in every situation, in every circumstance. Trust him, acknowledge him, lean into him. That's why we have those verses, because it's tough. It's tough, isn't it? When we first started ministry, full-time ministry in 1999 here in San Diego, 
we, our first two years, we were living off support, much like a, a missionary status, okay? Um, and you're like, missionary, don't San Diego, what? Um, yeah, <laughs> thank God. Um, he moved on, on the hearts of, of family and friends at the time, and, and we were receiving support. Um, but the, the interesting thing about receiving support and being supported when you're in ministry is you never quite know when the money's going to come. It's not like, you know, okay, the due date is June 1st. <laughs> could, that, could that support come on June 1st, please? Uh, we, we never quite knew when it was going to come in. And I'll never forget a particular day um, where we had rent due, and it was our last, you know, you get a window of five days to pay your rent, right, at this particular apartment we were living in. And it was our last day. And I, I typically was the one that did the finances, and I looked at Ben, and I said, we are short $500. We are not going to be able to pay our rent. It's not going to happen. There's no way. And so you better get on the phone because we got to figure this out. We're, we're going to be late. And uh, Ben and I are talking this through, and we're concerned, worried, trying to figure out how this is going to happen. Okay, we're just going to run out and go get a job somewhere. Is somebody going to hire us today and give us money today? I mean, you know, what are we going to do? And in that moment as we're talking, Ben just says, I, I think God's, yeah, I think we just need to pray. I think we need to pray. And I'm like, okay, let's pray. <laughs> have you ever been in those moments and you're like, okay, I need to pray, and you just have to close your eyes really tight because you're like, oh, dear God, the last thing I want to do is pray right now. Shouldn't I be on the phone calling my mom? You know, um, call the bank, get a loan. You know, it's like, shouldn't we be running and doing something right now? But we were like, and he said it, and I knew he was right. And we're like, okay, okay, babe, let's pray. And so we got there in our small living room, and we just got down on our knees, and we began to cry out to God and literally cry out to God. You know, we're crying, we're weeping, and in that moment, all of a sudden, we've been in this time of prayer, just seeking God for wisdom, seeking God for his provision. And as we're doing that, all of a sudden, the phone rang. And it was our pastor. And he said, hey, guys, I just want to call you so that you know to swing by the office because somebody dropped off a check for $500 for you. And I just, in that moment, we just both broke down and we just weeped. And it was like, man, God, how, they didn't know. No one knew. No one knew where our, where our financial picture was looking at in that moment. Nobody knew except God. And in the moment when it seemed like the, the, the stupidest thing to do, to stop and just pray, you have a few hours before you've got to hand the, that that have that extra $500 in your account so you could pay rent. It, it just seemed illogical. It didn't seem like it was something that would make sense. But in that moment, we did. And God, God answered. And he was working on the other side. And in that moment, God obviously received all the glory. But there are times in our life that prayer sometimes seems like the, the least logical thing to do. You know, I've heard it said so many times, I'm so busy, I don't have time to pray. So busy, it seems illogical to take time out of my day, time that I could be working on this project, time that I could be uh, running my kids to their next activity or running them to school, time that I could be doing this. It seems like that doesn't make sense to take time out, but 
what we need to do the most is to stop and to begin to pray and to begin to seek God and believe that, that he can answer. But sometimes it just doesn't make sense, does it? But God just says, hey, trust me. Just trust me in this. Take some time to, to turn to me in this situation and allow me to begin to work in your circumstance. And every time I get to a place like this and think about how prayer seems to be the thing that seems the most illogical thing to do, I think about people in our church that are sitting right here, sitting next to you today. People like Maria, who first time battling cancer. What'd she do? Were tears shed? Yeah. Were there some conversations? Yeah. Did they pray? Yeah. She came out of that cancer-free. What'd she do the second time cancer hit? Seems like the odds are stacking up against her. It seems like chances of conquering cancer once and for all seem really slim, but what would she do? She would pray and look to the word and stand on the scriptures the third time when cancer would hit her one more time, what would she do? Would she throw in the towel and say, forget it. Obviously, God's not on my side. Obviously, this is something that I'm going to continue to have to battle the rest of my life. No, what, she, what would she do? She would get herself to church and grab a hold of some other believers and say, no, we got to pray. i got to trust God. And during that season, I remember every single Facebook post I saw from Maria was scripture. Prayers and scripture and scripture and then another scripture. It didn't seem like it was something that would make sense in our natural minds. But as she leaned into God and said, you know, I'm going to trust God even though it doesn't seem like it would make sense. And much like Gideon here, it didn't seem like it would make sense to go into a battle against thousands with only 300 people. That just doesn't seem like it would make sense, right? But God just says, hey, Gideon, lean into me. Just lean into me and trust that I've got this. Trust that the battle is not yours, but that the battle is the Lord's. They didn't even have swords. I just, I still can't get over that one. And they were challenged, not just Gideon, but those 300 men that were trusting that Gideon was hearing from God. How many of you have been there before? Wives? Sometimes it feels like you're not just blindly following God, but sometimes it can feel like you're following this man that God put in my life. Sometimes it can be tough. Just go, okay, honey, I believe you're hearing from Jesus. Here these guys are going, thanks for the pot and the torch and the trumpet. They had to trust not only that God was moving and God was speaking, but trust that God was speaking to Gideon and that their leader was guiding them in the right direction. And so in those moments when your chances seem slim and you just want to give up, you got to remember that God chooses and uses people and he wants to choose and use you. Number two, you've got to just trust what seems to be illogical. Trust God's uncommon logic. And number three, we've got to always, God always calls us to respond with obedience. 
God called Gideon to respond with obedience. Respond with obedience and go and surround the camp. Take your trumpet. Take your torch. Break the jar when I tell you to break the jar. In those moments, I don't know about you, but when I face situations that, that I know are big, every time, I, every time I hear this phrase, your odds, I think of Hunger Games, let the odds ever be in your favor. They were never in their favor. If you saw those movies, you know. The odds were never in their favor, okay? But in those moments when it looks like the odds are not in our favor, how many of you feel like, I, okay, it's looking slim, but if I just had this, okay, this is, this, this looks like a big issue, this looks like a situation, but okay, I just, I need this, if I, if I have the better job, and if I have uh, the, the marriage, um, if I have the money, if I have more money, if I have this, if I have that, then that will work out. Then I can do what God's asking me to do. Then, and we, we think of all the things that we need in order to go in and in order for God to use us in a particular situation. And in those moments, much like with Gideon, uh, we have to realize we don't need everything that we think that we need. Gideon thought he needed 32,000 people, but God was trying to communicate to Gideon, hey, Gideon, you and me, man, we're a majority. And there are times in our lives when we think we need all this stuff in order for a situation to work out. But God is just saying, hey, you need me. And, and with me and the wisdom that I'm going to provide, the breakthrough that I'll bring, that's all you need. That's all you need for the victory that, that, with this battle that you're facing. And many times we, we think we need more, but God is just showing us that, hey, all you need is you need me and you need to be obedient to what I'm asking you to do. And look what happened to Gideon. Look what happened. They blew the trumpets. They blew the trumpets. And sure enough, the, the enemy, the, the army, the Midian, they turned on each other. They didn't need to bring their own swords because the enemy that they were up against used their own swords against each other. Isn't that amazing? Some of you are falling in love with the Bible right now. There's some men out there right now, you're like, I didn't know the Bible was so cool. Whoa. There's more stories just like this that happened in the Bible. It's really awesome. Okay, look what happened. They simply obeyed. They simply obeyed and trusted God. It might look crazy to you. It might look crazy to other people. But whatever God is asking you to do, just step out and do it. You don't know what breakthrough is on the other side of that obedience. Of that, of that just trusting that God is for you, that in, min, in the midst of things looking like it, there's no way it's going to work out, just trusting that God is for you and that he's going to work it out. God chooses you, and he invites you and I to trust him. He invites you and I to obey him. And in those moments when we trust him, in those moments when we obey him, then we just sit back and we watch the power of God We watch God's power flow through us, and we, we watch God do what only he can do in those situations. And in the, at the end of it all, we turn around, we give all, all glory to him. All glory goes to him. All honor goes to him. Because we look and we realize, man, that couldn't have been me. 
There's no way that God could have done that for me. Some of you, that you might be here, and there have been moments where God challenged you to say, hey, that coworker that is sick, that coworker that just shared the struggle that they're going through, I want you to go pray for them. And some of you have, have held back and said, there's no way that God could possibly use me in that situation. But I challenge you, if you just step out, trust God, believe him, obey whatever he's telling you to do, and watch the way God's power will flow through your life. You never know. You might be in the middle of, of your break room at work and praying for somebody that's sick and watch God heal right there. We serve a God of the impossible. That is the God that we serve, ladies and gentlemen. And when we look at, at circumstances, we look at life, we look at stuff that other people are facing, and we would say, there's no way. It's impossible. God is saying it is possible. And I'm inviting you to believe that it's possible. I'm inviting you to trust that with me it is possible. And if you would just trust, if you would just obey, watch the way my power will flow. Watch the way I will bring about a victory in this situation. And I believe that some of us are being challenged this morning. trust, to obey, and to watch and see what God will do. Let's pray this morning. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for the encouragement that we see in your word today. God, I thank you that you're challenging many of us to not see ourselves through our circumstances, to not see ourselves the way that we feel, the way that the view ourselves in that way, but to see ourselves as you see us. And God, we thank you that you are a God of miracles, that you are a God of the impossible. God, we thank you that what seems impossible to us, what seems ridiculous to us, God, is possible with you. God, only you know what the people here at Canvas Church this morning are facing. Only you know, God, what they're up against today. Only you know um, the people that are in their lives that, that need hope, that, that need encouragement, and that you've placed them right there in that position uh, with those people for a purpose, for a reason. Only you know, God. And well, we pray this morning that you just begin to Encourage each one of us here today to believe big, to trust big, and to watch and see what you would do. They did something that day. They, they blew the trumpets. And I believe this morning, I believe this morning that as we're concluding, God would invite you to blow the trumpets this morning that there's some that you're, you're, you're looking at, may, we'll call it a battle, but it seems some, something that you're facing that you need victory in, okay? We can call it a battle, like what Gideon faced. When I think of that trumpet that was sounded, I think of worship. I think of a, a trumpet that gets sounded that says, hey, the king is coming. I believe that there's some of you here this morning that God is just breathing hope into you this morning that hey, you might you might look at that situation, it seems slim, it seems impossible, but God is saying, hey, I'm here, I'm on your side, and I'm inviting you to blow the trumpet this morning.
I'm inviting you to blow the trumpet this morning and watch the victory that I will bring about. Watch the breakthrough that's going to come. And you're here this morning, you would say, you know what, that's me. I've got something. God is calling me to blow that trumpet today, to put down the sword and to just trust, to stop trying to battle this thing on my own. He's saying, hey, put that, put that down. Stop, stop trying with your own efforts and in your own strength to, to get through this. And just blow the trumpet today. Just blow the trumpet. Just begin to worship. Just in that worship, it, it invites the king to come and reign. It invites God to come and to work on your behalf. Blow the trumpet today. And you're here and you would say, that's me. I need, I need to blow the trumpet this morning. Could you just shoot your hand up in the air? Shoot, thank you. Come on, stand at your feet, church. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Let's stand to our feet this morning. There are a lot of you that raised your hand this morning. There are a lot of you that raised your hand this morning. We're doing things a little bit different. It's okay. Just bear with me this morning. I I sense God here today. I sense that, that the Lord is bringing victory here this morning. I sense that God is bringing hope to some of you today that that walked in this place feeling like there's no way this could work out. But God today is reminding you that you serve a God of the impossible. You serve a God with which nothing is impossible. He can do it. He is for you. He's not against you. He is on your side today. You don't need everything that you think you need. You just need God to intervene in that situation. And that's you this morning. I want you to shoot your hands in the air. I want you to begin to worship him this morning. We're going to blow the trumpet with our worship this morning. Come on, I want you to be, if that's you, you raised your hand a moment ago. You said, hey, I need God to come. I need the king to come and reign in this area of my life. I need God to come and have victory in this area of my life. It seems too slim to me. It seems impossible to me. There's no way that I can do it. I need God to come, and I'm going to blow the trumpet this morning. Shoot your hands up in the air and just begin to worship. Why do we raise our hands? Why do we lift up our hands? It's We're signaling heaven. We're saying, God, we are blowing the trumpet this morning. We are inviting you in to this situation. We are inviting you in to have victory over this area of our lives. God, we worship you. We declare that you are bigger than anything that we would face, any circumstance that that may seem impossible to us. God, you are great, and you are greatly to be praised, and we worship you. We honor you, and I believe that as you do that, come on, band, go for it. I believe that as you do this this morning, as you begin to worship this morning, as you begin to put your perspective in the right place this morning, I believe that breakthrough is coming. I believe that you're going to sense it, much like I sense it. A peace is going to come, a peace that surpasses all understanding. Is it going to come upon some of you? this morning is going to come upon some of you in the midst of what looks like it's not working and God is going to bring a peace and that in itself is your victory this morning that in itself is the victory that you need this morning come on let's worship him today thank you for joining us today for more information please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com